Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned or missed the mark or veered off the path and fallen short of the glory of God or God's perfect standard. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of the cost of that sin is death or eternal separation from God. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 5a says, But God demonstrated his love toward us or showed his love toward us in that while we were still yet sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. Romans 10 verse 9 through 10 says that if we will confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we will, not might be, not maybe, we will be saved. For with our hearts we believe we are now in right standing with God and with our mouths we confess that we are now saved. Lastly, Romans 10 verse 13 says that whosoever, anybody or everybody who calls upon the name of the Lord, they will be saved. So if you've never asked Jesus into your heart or you've walked away from him and you would like to rededicate your life to him, you can just simply say, dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I know my sin deserves to be punished. I believe Jesus Christ is the son of God who died for me and rose from the grave. I want to turn from my sin and trust Jesus Christ alone as my Savior. Thank you for the forgiveness and everlasting life I can now have through faith in Jesus. In Jesus' mighty, precious name I pray. Amen. All right, moving right along. Back now in uh, Esther chapter 2. Esther chapter 1, King Xerxes had a big old party for this whole, his whole region that lasted several days. Shoot, it was like a few months that party went on. Just party, party, party. And then toward the end, he wanted to show off his wife, Queen Vashti. Show her off. I'm sure he's going to have her do some type of dance. You know, I'm sure he wasn't just going to have her walk in front of everyone. He's going to do some type of display to show her off. And she was like, I'm good on that. And so he asked his homeboys, like, hey, what should we do about this woman? Because if we don't get her under control, all these women in the kingdom are going to think they can just not listen to their husbands. We got to do something about this. So they're like, hey. Why don't you, his, one of his homeboys said, why don't you make a decree that Vashti is no longer queen? You about to get yourself a new queen. It's like, hmm. And then, yeah, make it so that, I'll use the exact words. What did it say? Every, my bad, it's timed out for a second. He proclaimed that every man should be the ruler of his own home and should say whatever he pleases. So we got an interesting start to Esther chapter 1. Here we go, Esther chapter 2. Esther becomes queen. But after Xerxes' anger had subsided, he began thinking about Vashti and what she had done and the decree he had made. So his personal attendants suggested, let us search the empire to find beautiful young virgins for the king. Let the king appoint agents in each province to bring these beautiful young women into the royal harem at the fortress of Susa. 
Hegai, the king's eunuch in charge of the harem, will see that they are all given beauty treatments. Man, that would be interesting. They had to make these guys eunuchs, you know, cut their genitalia off so that they wouldn't be have any. Yeah, they wouldn't. Uh, there even be there wouldn't be any temptation at all to sleep with these uh, with with the with the harem with the, all these beautiful women. Interesting. Anyway, verse four. After that, the young woman who most pleases the king will be made queen instead of Vashti. This advice was very appealing to the king, so the so he put the plan into effect. I'm gonna pause real quick. I actually knew some women named Vashti or Vashti growing up. Uh, young girls, young ladies, and. I, it's been a while since I've heard anybody preach on the book of Esther or talk about it. But if I remember correctly, some of the things I've heard is just like some people talk about Vashti is like very brave. The fact that she defiantly refused to just be the king's like, yeah, do what he wanted her to do and basically show herself off. Like people talk about, like they read into the text and figure that she had some type of, uh, you know, class and dignity. And I mean, you got to be kind of careful to read too much into the text. But I will say, yeah, there was something different about her. The fact that she was like, "No, nah, I ain't going down there. I'm not about to be this man's little trophy and show me off to all his friends and." Had me do whatever he wanted me to do, dance in front of the folks or whatever, you know. So, all right, verse four. I'll read that again. After that, the young woman who most pleases the king will be made queen instead of Vashti. This advice was very appealing to the king, so he put the plan into effect. He's like, sure, I'm ready for an upgrade anyway. What we got out here. Verse five. At that time, there was a Jewish man in the fortress of Susa whose name was Mordecai, son of Jair. He was from the tribe of Benjamin and was a descendant of Kish and Shimei. I'm going to assume this is the same Mordecai we have been reading about in like Ezra. And he was brought up in uh, Nehemiah as well. His family had been among those who, with King Jehoiachin of Judah, had been exiled from Jerusalem to Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar. Yep, this is the same one. All right, this man had a very beautiful and lovely young cousin, Hadash, who was also called Esther. I mean, my bad, not Hadash, Hadesa. I've never met any Hadesas before. Or Hadassah, however you want to say that. We'll just call her Esther, it's easier. I mean, the whole book is called Esther. 
right. <laughs> when her father and mother died, Mordecai adopted her into his family and raised her as his own daughter. It's interesting here that she was adopted. That's 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 significant. For those of y'all that would like to go really deep, deep, deep into scripture or all you preachers out here, that's definitely a deep topic there. You can just talk about adoption. And here's an example. It would be cool to do a whole sermon about adoption. Because, yeah, here's an example of somebody who was adopted in the Bible. And I'm pretty sure she could have had, like, all kinds of dealt with depression and, you know... Feelings of inadequacy, feelings of uh, unworthiness and all that. And God uses her, picks her to make her queen. All right, let's keep going. And do something amazing. So Mordecai adopted her into his family and raised her as his own daughter. That's just like us. We've been adopted into God's family. And we're treated just like one of his... Uh, like we get the same royal, the same treatments in the royal family. Verse eight. As a result of the king's decree, Esther, along with many other young women, was brought to the king's harem at the fortress of Susa and placed in Haggai's care. She didn't have a choice; she had to go. Haggai was very impressed with Esther and treated her kindly. He quickly ordered that she has God's favor. He quickly ordered a special menu for her and provided her with beauty treatments. So she got to eat good. And she got pampered. He also assigned her seven maids specially chosen from the king's palace. And he moved her and her maids into the best place in the harem. Esther had not told anyone of her nationality and family background because Mordecai had directed her not to do so. Mordecai was smart. Every day, Mordecai would take a walk near the courtyard of the harem to find out about Esther and what was happening to her. Before each young woman was taken to the king's bed, she was given the prescribed 12 months of beauty treatment, six months with oil of myrrh, followed by six months with special perfumes and ointments. That's a whole year. And I was reading... um. Yeah, and Sandy Freed's Destiny Thieves book. She was talking about like how that myrrh and those perfumes and ointments were pressed into her skin so that she just naturally smelled like that, like smelled good all the time. And how like the myrrh what did it say? What did she say? All right, I gotta bust out Sandy Freed's book real quick. I gotta read this. It was so good. Should have saved the page. Hmm. Oh yeah, one second. Darn it. 
should have had this page saved before I even started the podcast. Oh, Lord Jesus, help me. Embrace the new wine, religious spirit. Miracles are of today. The Hamans of today, the Esthers of today. Here we go. Go back, go back. Okay, I'm just going to read this little section. This is once again from Destiny Thieves by this lady named Sandy Freed. It's a pretty good, pretty good book. It's intense, I warn you, but it's good stuff. It's on page 148. Esther... All right. Esther did not suddenly arrive at destiny. The biblical account of Esther describes how she endured much preparation and then opposition as she pursued destiny. In preparation for marriage, Esther was anointed step by step. It was customary to deeply cleanse, purify and anoint the female body in preparation for intimate intercession in relationship with her husband. As we discussed in chapter three for 12 months, Esther was bathed in exotic and expensive oils. The number 12 is symbolic of new government and authority, meaning that this purification process was necessary before Esther could move into her destined authority to shift her government. She was chosen by God to change decrees of death against her own people. Step after step toward destiny, Esther was prepared, purified, and cleansed as the future bride patiently awaited her specific position of authority. Esther also was purified with myrrh for six months. The number of six is symbolic for flesh or or for man. We can conclude that Esther was purified and cleansed from all fleshly desires and sinful nature. This was the process. See, like, so she was going, these people assigned to do all this work to Esther, they were just doing their job. They were just doing their custom. But really, there was a whole lot of symbolism going on here that God was doing behind the scenes all along. So like when we when stuff is going on in our lives and the Lord is purifying us, making us more like Jesus, we think it's just like, oh, this you know, we just think it's just sometimes we just think we don't think a whole lot in read a whole lot into it, but it's part of God's purification process. He refines us, he purges away those things, he prunes us. And prepares us for our destiny if we allow him to. This was the process of perfection needed to empower her to become a queen who would shift governments and institute institute godly decrees. As I mentioned earlier, during her time of preparation, Esther did not enjoy lavish Calgan take me away soakings. She was not simply oiled down or sprayed with perfume like today. Rather, the myrrh was scrubbed into her skin to become a part of her so that she herself became a sweet-smelling fragrance. It's interesting, too, that that's one of the things that Jesus was given by the, by the, uh, you know, the, the wise men, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The word anoint means not only to smear with grease, but also to rub with oil. Part of the anointing process, then, is the rubbing and scrubbing. Esther's being rubbed and scrubbed with myrrh was extremely significant. Let's look further at this symbolism. I'll just read the rest of page 149. I'll stop there.
Myrrh was sacred oil used to anoint the robes of the priesthood. The priests were set apart and anointed as servants in God's house. We also are set apart and anointed to serve as priests. Myrrh translates as bitter. Esther had been adopted by her cousin Mordecai. She had no mother or father. If there was any bitterness bitterness in Esther's heart due to rejection or abandonment issues, and there's been study after study after like a on children who are adopted, how they all exhibit like very similar behaviors. They deal with rejection and they run away. I had to finish out the rest of my teeth. I had to do with abandonment issues and rejection. Um, <clears throat> here it says, yeah, if there was any bitterness, if there was any bitterness in Esther's heart due to rejection or abandonment issues, it had to be scrubbed and rubbed out so that she could come forth into her full destiny. I pray that right now. Dear Lord, I just pray for myself or anyone else that deals with rejection or abandonment issues. I pray that you would anoint us, Lord, that you would I pray there'd be a special anointing on them and scrub out, rub out all of the all of those, all that bitterness or any feelings of rejection or abandonment. Lord, heal our hearts and restore us just like you did for Esther, Lord, so that we can walk out in our full destinies in Jesus mighty name, I pray. Amen. Yes, yeah, says we must allow God to cleanse all bitterness of the past from our lives in order to, for us to become anointed vessels and fulfill destiny. Yeah, nobody likes to drink out of a dirty cup. And that's what we are. We're, we're like cups for the Holy Ghost to pour, to, to sit in and pour himself out into other people. Myrrh was used in burial preparation. There must be a death to self and selfish ambition in order to achieve full destiny. Like Esther, the body of Christ is being being cleansed to ensure a sweet fragrance for the Lord. He wants us to be that pure fragrance, not just a sweet smell that dissipates in a few hours. He rubs us, yeah, not like cheap cologne. He rubs us with his hand in a step-by-step process of cleansing us until we are released and empowered to rule and reign in spiritual authority. We are purified from all unrighteousness, iniquity, and impurity in order to prepare for us for the high calling of Christ Jesus. Our purpose and destiny, like Esther, we are called to shift governmental decrees within our families, neighborhoods, areas of business, and even nations. We can easily identify with Esther's process of preparation. Day after day, we endure God's process, waiting for our specific times of breakthrough in times of fulfillment. As we study the story of Esther, we see that she symbolized the body of Christ, fulfilling destiny one step at a time. That helps out, too. I'll close out with this, and then I'll continue reading um, with that thought. Is this like, sometimes when I'm going through my Christian walk, a lot of times I just think about myself and my own destiny. Because, you know, in North America, we're very, you know, pick yourself up by your own bootstraps, very independent thinking. But we have to remember, too, that Jesus Christ, right, when we're going through our, you know, our walk, personal walk with the Lord on this pilgrimage to heaven, right, each of us is playing a role in the body of Christ. Some of us are big toes, some of us are pinky toes, some of us 
our uh, kneecaps, some of us are elbows, some of us are hair follicles, some of us are nose hairs, some of us are eyebrow, some of us are lips, some of us are ears, you know, we all have different roles. Some of us are earwax. Some of us are the hairs on our toes, some of us are toenails. Anyway, I think you get the point. But like each of us plays plays a role, right? Some of us are heartbeats. Like we play huge roles, like pastors, you know. Um, carrying a flock, right? The the face of a of a church body, right? But we're but the Lord is God and Jesus is coming back for one bride, for one bride without spot or wrinkle, right? So, if He's coming back for one bride, it's important to remember that, um, to not always think so individualistic, but to know that like. The destiny that's being fulfilled is not just about us. It's about God's larger story. And when you think in terms of the larger story of the body of Christ and the bride, him coming for his bride and not just me, then it kind of, at least for me, it takes off some of that pressure, too, for me to always get things right, you know? And this is my personal opinion. It's, it takes a lot of that pressure off. And also just like it, it helps you to have a better, a broader perspective of like the importance of like service. And yeah, building God's kingdom, whatever. Yeah, doing whatever you feel like the Lord has called you to do specifically in playing a role. Or like in, just to use like a sports analogy, like in football, in the game tonight, you had a quarterback, you had an offensive lineman, you had, you know, defensive lineman, you had wide receivers. If the quarterback all of a sudden decided he wanted to play on the offensive line and the offensive lineman decided he wanted to be the quarterback, there would have been a whole lot of issues. They would have probably, Georgia probably would have lost the game. Alabama would have blew them out. But everybody knowing their role and playing their role effectively allowed them to actually win the game. So... Anyway, let's finish reading this after I got on that long tangent, but I think it was necessary. All right, verse 12, I'll read that again. Before each young woman was taken to the king's bed, she was given this prescribed 12 months of beauty treatments, six months with oil of myrrh, followed by six months with special perfumes and ointments. Verse 13, when it was time for her to go to the king's palace, she was given her choice of whatever clothing or jewelry she wanted to take from the harem. That evening, she was taken to the king's private. Can you imagine that? I, these ladies, ladies listening, can you imagine if you got your choice of whatever clothing or jewelry you wanted. I look forward to the day. I that's that's honestly, I really honestly don't want to even consider getting married again until I'm able to do that for my next wife. Like I want to be able to be like, hey, whatever you want. You can have whatever you like. Just have clothes already, like, in her size, just in the house. Like, bam. Like, when we, like, after, yeah, we get married, she come home. I just have it all there. Like, hey, this is, yeah, whatever you want, whatever you want, babe. This is all you. Whatever jewelry you want, just have it. Like, I hated that I was so, I hated that I wasn't able to provide for my former wife the way I wanted to. Um, even though I could have, if I'd have stayed at that $80,000 a year job, but, uh, that's a whole nother conversation. <laughs> I know God is going to restore it times a 
ten hundredfold. Anyway, I look forward to that day when I can just like, yeah, wine, dine, and just fit my next wife into whatever she wants like that. Honestly, I don't think any man is ready to be married until he can like provide for his wife that way. Everyone has different opinions. But like I feel like, yeah, I shouldn't have even considered marriage until I was ready to do something like that to basically to where, yeah, I had times when my former wife would ask me if she could have, if we had enough money in the budget to get her hair done. Like, that used to eat me up inside that I couldn't, yeah, I don't know. And she wasn't like, she wasn't the type of woman that, um, like, got her hair done every week and or got her nails done every week. Um, anyway, that's a discussion for another day. All right, verse 14, or verse 13, read that again. When it was time for her to go to the king's palace, she was given her choice of whatever clothing or jewelry she wanted to take from the harem. That evening, she was taken to the king's private rooms, and the next morning, she was brought to the second harem where the king's wives lived. There, she would be under the care of Shashgas, the king's eunuch in charge of the concubines. She would never go to the king again unless he had especially enjoyed her and requested her by name. So she's just moving up the ranks real quick. She went from single A ball to double A baseball to triple A baseball. And now she's in the big leagues, major leagues. Well, nah, she's in AAA. She ain't got that official call up to the major leagues yet. She's in the G League, the basketball league. She's in the, she's in the uh, NFL Europe. Anyway, verse fifteen. Esther was the daughter of Abihel, who was Mordecai's uncle. Mordecai had adopted his younger cousin Esther. Didn't you already say that earlier? Ah, oh, now it's telling us who her father was. Esther was the daughter of Abihel, who was Mordecai's uncle. So this would be like, yeah, anyway, don't read too much into it. All right, when it was Esther's turn to go to the king, they're, they're laying out who these people like, the family line. So Esther was Mordecai's cousin, younger cousin. When it was Esther's turn, Esther's turn to go to the king, she accepted the advice of Haggai, the eunuch in charge of the harem. She asked for nothing except what he suggested, and she was admired by everyone who saw her. Esther, she asked for nothing except what he suggested. So she was, she was smart. She made sure to be very humble and to make him happy, basically like, Whatever you like. That was in uh, you know, the scene in Coming to America when when uh, Hakeem is picking on his wife. And she's like, he's like, yeah, she's like, whatever you like, whatever you like. And he's like, hop on one foot, bark like a dog. Anyway. All right, verse 16. Esther was taken... I don't recommend watching the... Uh, the uh, 
the uh yeah watch the usa tv version did they even show movies like that on is usa tv even around still when i was a kid like they showed edited versions of movies so there's some scenes yeah kind of some uh some not so yeah some some nudity in the beginning of that movie so i'm not going uh recommend watching that but hey uh yeah watch the edited version if you can some interesting scenes there. Anyway, that's what I was just thinking of with this. I could just imagine Esther was like that. Whatever you like, my king. Your highness. Verse 16. Esther was taken to King Xerxes at the royal palace in early winter of the seventh year of his reign. Yeah, that 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 eunuch was probably like, hey, the last queen, Vashti, she got let go of her duties as queen because she failed to uh, be submissive. So, hey, this is what you can do to be submissive and to stand out compared to all these other ladies. All right, Esther was taken to King Xerxes at the royal palace in early winter on the seventh of the seventh year of his reign. And the king loved Esther more than any of the other young women. Interesting. Pause there. In the seventh year of his reign, number of completeness, not a coincidence. Yes, verse 17, the king loved Esther more than any of the other young women. He was so delighted with her that he set the royal crown on her head and declared her queen instead of Vashti. To celebrate the occasion, he gave a great banquet in Esther's honor for all his nobles and officials, declaring a public holiday for the provinces and giving generous gifts to everyone. Even after verse 19, even after all this, this look at that when a man is happy, when he finds a woman that he really loves and cares, cares about. Look at that. He's generous. Gave gifts to everybody. Did something to his heart because he had been given much. So now he wants to give, give, give back much. Verse 19, even after all the young women had been transferred to the second harem and Mordecai had become a palace official, Esther continued to keep her family background and nationality a secret. She was still following Mordecai's directions just as she did when she lived in his home. This is the most random question, but I'm it's like, don't they have venereal diseases back then? I'm pretty sure this king Xerxes probably had to have something after sleeping with all them different women. That's just a random thought I had. All right. Anyway, hopefully, yeah, God protected. I'm sure he protected Esther. All right. Mordecai's loyalty to the king. One day as Mordecai was on duty at the king's gate, two of the king's eunuchs, Bictana, my favorite name, or Bictan, and Teresh, who were guards at the door of the king's private quarters, became angry at King Xerxes and plotted to assassinate him. But Mordecai heard about the plot and gave the information to Queen Esther. She then told the king about it and gave Mordecai credit for the report. When an investigation was made and Mordecai's story was found to be true, the two men were impaled on a sharpened pole. This was all recorded in the book of the history of King Xerxes' reign. All right. I think I'm going to stop it there. We'll pick up. We'll finish. We'll read some more of Esther tomorrow. All right. It's getting good, getting juicy. 
Deuces.